Our message this morning is taken from Mark 138. Let us go to the towns nearby. That is a, a statement that Jesus made. But what I'd like us to do is to walk through Mark chapter 1 leading up to that passage. You know, the Gospel of Mark is really a very short, concise, and accurate description of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Actually, the author probably was not a man named Mark. We probably should have called it the Gospel according to Peter through Mark. Because Mark was his scribe who wrote what Peter talked about happened firsthand. It actually is the first written record of Jesus and what he did while he was alive and leading up to the cross and going to the cross on our behalf. Very interesting gospel. I think it it should get more publicity. Probably more people know about the Gospel of John than they do of the Gospel of Mark. But actually, the language and even the structure of Mark is put in a very simple, down-to-earth terminology. You know, all of you now are great scholars of the Apostle Paul. Now that we've gone through nine chapters of Romans, and Mark should just be a snap for you. But by the fact that Peter was not that highly educated, although, as I said, as we touched into Second Peter, wow, you look at Second Peter, the guy who wrote that was pretty with it intellectually. And I believe that that was a tr- tremendous inspiration of the Holy Spirit working through a humble fisherman. But Mark is giving us what's titled as the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first writing. It begins with the account of Jesus with ministry and preaching of John the Baptist, including the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, where when Jesus comes out of the water, And a dove comes down, the heavens open, and a voice is heard saying, This is my beloved Son. Or it says, actually, you are my beloved Son. In you, I am well pleased. And then it says, immediately after Jesus' baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. The word immediately is a very interesting word. And I think either Peter or Mark really loved that word immediately. You know that it appears 42 times in this short gospel. You can read the gospel of Mark in about 40, 45 minutes or maybe an hour. I would encourage you to just sit down and read the Gospel of Mark this week. To spur you on, take a marking pen and just mark every time it says immediately, immediately, immediately as you go through the Gospel. It'll keep you on track. 
But you know what, what is really important about that word? This gospel was written just prior to the writing of Second Peter, which we looked at a few weeks, a week, week or so ago. In that there was an immediacy, there was a urgency for the gospel to get out. That's where Peter's heart was. That's where Mark took it from Peter. Immediately, immediately. There's something urgent about this message. And that was the context. That was the spirit. That was the motive in writing this gospel. Get the news out. Get the news out. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come. The beloved Son, in whom the Father is pleased. And tell about Jesus. Remember last year, we talked about, let's talk about Jesus. And that has to do with, this is the story of Jesus. And this is all we have to tell folks. We can talk about ourselves, or we can talk about Jesus and what he's done for us because we are his witnesses. Jesus was led into the wilderness, and he returns to preach the kingdom of God while John the Baptist is imprisoned by Herod. Jesus continues the theme of John the Baptist. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe is his message. On the shores of Galilee, Jesus calls two sets of brothers, fishermen who would follow him. Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John, became followers of Jesus and accompanied him throughout Galilee. Jesus and his followers go into a small town of Capernaum. Capernaum is the town of Nahum, the prophet Nahum, Nahum, we say. But they don't know exactly whether it was the prophet Nahum, but that is the name of that village, the town of Nahum. Jesus begins to teach. Mark records that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. He was teaching not as the scribes and Pharisees. He was teaching with authority. So much so that the reaction of this man just coming out of the desert, having passed through temptation and God sustaining him for 40 days, he comes with authority to preach the gospel. And what happens? It's an incredible gospel. And what happens? Demons become evident and come forward in people that had for years possibly been under the oppression of these evil spirits from hell because of Jesus' authority. And so right from the very beginning, it says immediately, a man with an unclean spirit cries out, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
this demon cries out in the man. What does Jesus do? He rebukes the demon and tells him to be quiet and to come out of the man. Now here's just a little bit of uh, my insight into why was there such a reaction and why did Jesus also react to this demon? My note is that often demons will declare Jesus as God, but never as the Son of Man. Because Jesus came in the flesh as a man to defeat Satan. In other words, when these demons heard Jesus preaching with authority, what was it that they knew about him? It wasn't like a week or so ago when Kent shared with us about true knowledge about Jesus Christ. This was not the word gnosis or epinosis. It was the word oida, which means to see or understand. So the demon is really saying, I see who you are. You're the son of God. Demons do not want to recognize that Jesus came in the flesh. In fact, the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 1 to 3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, Katie and I have had a bit of experience with demonized persons, and that is true. They do not want to recognize that Jesus Christ came as a man in flesh. They'll announce, yes, you are the Holy One, you are God, you... No, but Jesus does not want or desire their accreditation because he came in the flesh as a man to bear our sins. And this is the gospel. This is what we've been talking about, folks, this last year or so. This is the power of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came as a man to bear our sins as the Lamb of God. Just as John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. According to Peter and Mark, this was the beginning of Jesus' ministry and fame. And it says, Immediately Jesus visits the home of Simon Peter, but Simon's mother-in-law was ill. Jesus shows kindness to Peter's mother-in-law, he takes her by the hand and she was healed and got up and she was able to serve them a beautiful meal. By that evening, news of the demonized person and news of the mother-in-law reached many ears. And so by evening, there were the whole city, it says, were at the door of Peter and Andrew. And 
their mother-in-law. Mark recorded that. There were many healed and many demons were cast out. Jesus healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, it says. And again, Jesus was not allowing the demons to speak. They understood who he was. Let's read our passage, Mark 35 to 39. Jesus stayed overnight at that house. And early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Mark continues the story of Jesus teaching and preaching throughout the short gospel. Many of you will recognize Mark's name. He was the one that Barnabas introduced to Paul, and Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Mark was like uh, an intern. He had a short internship and learned a lot, but not quite enough for Paul's liking. And so Barnabas and Paul separated each other, and Mark and Barnabas went off, but Paul continued his ministry. We hear about Mark later on by the fact that he then became uh, very useful, according to Paul's words, very useful to Paul. So he had learned something through his internship. And he had a position with Peter as Peter's scribe in the last days of Peter in Rome. Mark was a missionary, trained by missionaries. I want us to get something straight. When we first came to Japan in 1974, on our visa was stamped missionary. Nowadays, we don't use that word. It's religious activities instead of missionary. But you know, missionary is a very good word. But you know, it really doesn't describe what we think of and just somebody coming from a foreign country and coming to a foreign land, learning the language and that kind of thing and preaching in uh, fumble mouth, what I call, not being able to speak the language very well. But the fact is, when Jesus came, he was a missionary. He came to us, but we didn't receive him. He was too strange for us. He didn't speak the same language as we speak. He spoke of heaven. He spoke of the need for salvation. He spoke of the fact that we needed to confess our sins in order to enter the kingdom of God. And he went and he hung on a cross for us. And he became the savior of the whole world. That was his mission. And when he left, he said, I leave you here, but I'll ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit, that he may be in you 
and be able to speak through you. And he assigned us, all of us who are believers in him, to become missionaries. Every one of you who know Jesus Christ, whether you're Japanese or from China or Singapore or from Indonesia or even America or Canada even, we who are called by Jesus' name are missionaries. That is our number one reason for living. We've gone through nine chapters of Romans. Have you got that yet? That is what our assignment is. That is who we are as Christians. And as we look at this, these are some things that I think would be handy for us helpful for us as we consider ourselves to be the people of God on a mission. Number one, in order to be missionaries, in order to be able to share our faith, we need to truly know, epinosis, truly know Jesus Christ personally ourselves before we can introduce him to others. As Kant mentioned, I mean, you can introduce somebody to somebody, but if you don't really know them personally, you can't really introduce them. You could say, well, yeah, I know that this name's John, and I'd like you to meet Pete. But you need to know, truly know someone in order to be able to introduce them. Jesus came to show us the Father through the relationship he had with his Heavenly Father. John 10, 27 to 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Very clear who we are in him. I know them, and they follow me. And as Kent said about Gnosis, it is a two-way understanding. If I know Kent personally, there's no, no way that I know in him he doesn't know me. I mean, I've got a friend that I think he's my friend, but we've only met once. I know his name, and when somebody says, oh, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yes, I know him. That is not gnosis. I know about him, but when you know someone, it's very intimate, and it's, it's, it works both ways. I know them, and they follow me. It's two-way. And we know the Father through coming to Jesus in repentance from our sins. He knows us so intimately. He knows what our sins are and what he died for. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then thirdly, confessing Jesus as Lord of our lives, Matthew 10.32 and 33, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. 
But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Point two, we need to know that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as our helper. He comes to reside with us. When we accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in. You don't have to have another special experience. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have received the Spirit of Christ. He lives within us. That is his operation in our lives. John 14, 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper, another being like Jesus, that he may be with you, how long? Forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live a godly life. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. We've talked about the inner man, haven't we? That's the real Ron inside. He's strengthening through his spirit in the inner man. That happens to all of us as Christians. And we need to foster that strengthening and receive it from the Holy Spirit in confession and empowerment to be able to share our testimonies, our witness of Jesus. And thirdly, he helps us pray. Romans 8:26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then thirdly, we need the Word of God in our daily lives. I love Psalm 119, 119. Have you memorized Psalm 119? (laughs) The word cleanses us. How can a young man, and that's not just you young guys here, how can a young man keep his way pure the same way an old man does? By keeping it according to your word. That's the secret, guys. That's the secret, gals. This applies to women as well as men by keeping it according to your word. And then Psalm 119, 103, the word nourishes us. How sweet are your words to my taste. Have you ever had that experience as you're sitting down and reading your Bible and you just feel like you just have had a nourishing meal? Try it. You'll like it. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth, the psalmist says. And then the word of God guides us. Psalm 119, 105. 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's brighter than that bicycle light that we, Katie and I saw the other night when we were walking home. I thought it was a car coming at us. They are bright, aren't they? But the word of God is brighter. It's a light to my path. I can see way down the road. We need to know also, number four, we need to know we are his witnesses. To be giving testimony of Jesus, John 15, 26, 27. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me, and you will testify also about who? About Jesus. Because you have been with me from the beginning. When were you introduced to Jesus Christ? When did you receive him? Can you remember that day or that time? You knew me from the beginning. That was Jesus. And that will continue to be Jesus as long as you live. You will grow and you'll know more about him. But he has come to live with us. He's introduced himself into our lives. We need to know we are his witnesses to reach people for Jesus. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in 2 Timothy 4.2, that we're to be available at any time. We have neighbors that greet and meet us. And we think, well, I haven't read my Bible this morning. I really can't give a testimony to them. Yes, you can. If you're prepared, as this verse says, preach the word. What does preach mean? To share, to share. Be ready in season and out of season. That means whether it's springtime or summer, it is time for us to share. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That's the attitude of a missionary, of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Patient, with great patience. We're called to witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. Thank you for allowing us to look at and emphasize the great work that you've called us to as the people of God. We thank you that this is your work and that we give it to you to work through us. Allow us to be your people and to know that you have called us to a great calling. We humble ourselves before you. We see that it's your life in us that makes the difference. We pray for our families and for those that we live with, our unsaved husbands or wives. 
our children. May they see Jesus in us. We thank you, Father, for your work in our lives and your great patience in working with us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.